Hello, everybody, and welcome to this next episode of Into the Prey, Breaching the Chaos of the Church with Nick and Anthony Franks. Mary's not with me, so my dad has kindly j- agreed to join. You right, Dad? I'm fine, thank you, Nick. Very good. This is a uh, first. We've, we did a podcast, I think it was almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, last December, yeah. Was that last December with, yeah. with, with you and Mum? Yeah. Um. But this is a podcast today in a specific series for people listening who most of whom will know talking about the prophets and the role of the prophets in our understanding of what it means to be prophetic today. And dad, I'd asked you to look at the prophet Amos. So you've prepared to, to, but do you want to say something a little bit by way of introduction about why, because you'd mentioned about Amos to me in a, um text of some kind recently or you quoted him uh well uh, it would be a couple of years ago that i had been thinking about amos and micah some of the gems that are in both of those little minor prophets and when you mentioned amos the other day i was um kind of reminded of some of the thoughts that i'd had a couple of years ago about it so uh some of this today is partly that but more is I think an update on where things are at prophetically at the moment uh, with the church. So um, mm. yeah, that's the kind of background from my end. Do you want to say something about um, just just a very brief summary about the conversation of a year ago? Um, because well, maybe you were going to say something about that anyway to contextualise uh, this about Amos today. Uh, well, I just, I mean, the, the, the podcast a year ago was, um, I think part of it was expressing the concern that mum and I had about the need to be hearing what God was saying uh, in, the, in the present state of um, the pandemic, um, rather than just carrying on regardless. Mm. And I think that that is heightened for us with um, just thinking about these prophets and the message that they had and the huge importance of hearing what God's heart is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think whatever we shared a year ago, um, we feel is probably accentuated today. Yeah. Well, don't let me let me distract you, Dad. Crack on with what you've got. Okay. Well, as you've just been mentioning, uh, Nick, um, I think your listeners will be aware that this podcast uh is entitled All the Prophets, and today we're going to be trying to think particularly about the prophet Amos and how that would tie in with whatever Jesus had to say on that day. But thinking of that day, which is where the phrase All the Prophets come from, I would just like to read a few verses from Luke 24 by way of background, uh, which I think is really important for this series. So, um, I'm sure all of us will be aware that in Luke 24, that Luke describes um, the conversation that took place 
when the two were on their way to Emmaus on that resurrection morning. And the, at the point at which Jesus joins them, um, uh, he was asking them what they were talking about, and they were expressing their disquiet about events of recent days and of their, basically their discouragement and disillusionment mm. about things that had happened. And um, so uh, when we come to verse 25, this is Jesus' response to that part of the conversation. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Um, I don't know if many of you will have an ESV Bible, but there's an interesting little note uh, in the ESV that's highlighted against that, all the prophets. And clearly somebody has attempted to uh, list who all those different prophets might have been. For example, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah and Zechariah. I could have done with seeing that list about a year ago, to be honest. I didn't know it was <laughs> well, there. I doubt if that list is actually exhaustive, um, but those scriptures, I didn't look at them all for the purposes of this podcast, but I'm sure that all of those particular scriptures will have contained very specific references to Jesus. Uh, for example, Isaiah 53, mm. he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I, I feel almost certain that Jesus would have referred mm -hmm. to that passage. But it is of interest um, what Luke meant exactly by all the prophets. Um, the Amplified Bible actually goes even further and says throughout all the prophets. Mm -hmm. And bearing in mind that there were 17 of those biblical prophets um, and not knowing... Um, at what point Jesus joined the conversation along that seven mile journey. Um, it's just, we just don't know um, what the all means, whether it was literally all or just some highlighted ones. Mm -hmm. How good it would have been though, to listen mm -hmm. into that conversation. Mm. I think, I think we'd said it was two and a half hours, the walk. Yeah. <coughs> uh, and the tension that you're talking about there is important just to just mention in passing that we didn't it's been it's been it's felt a little bit dodgy to to try and imagine what Jesus said as opposed to what he did say. So that's mm. what that's the tension you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, we, we just don't know. But um, so although there are specific references to Jesus in some of those prophets that are listed uh, by what the ESV people might have thought. Um, although Amos doesn't actually contain a specific reference to Jesus in maybe that same detailed way, it is mm. good to be able to look at what Amos has to say as representative, and that's the key word here, representative um, of some of the things that Jesus might have said. But before doing that, <coughs> it's worth just mentioning that the whole of the New Testament points forward to the coming of Jesus. Luke mentions Moses as well as all the prophets. And, you know, as early as Genesis 3, there's a, a reference to the coming Messiah. In fact, some folk have thought that that comment that was made there 
by God to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some folk think that's really the very first proclamation of the gospel fulfilled, of course, in Jesus. And I've always found it an amazing statement uh, by Paul in 1 Corinthians when, they de- when he's describing the journey of Israelites through the wilderness. He says that they were accompanied by the rock and that rock was Christ. So Jesus was with them the whole mm-hmm. time through the wilderness. I just mm-hmm. think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, which points forward um, uh, to Jesus ultimate sacrifice of himself on the cross and I I just wonder if Jesus might have said something quite like what we read in Hebrews which uh, is recorded in chapter 9 but when Christ appeared as a high priest he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus Mm -hmm. securing eternal redemption Mm -hmm. so Um, I'm sure Jesus would have been saying things like that in that conversation. But thinking of the prophets generally, all of them now, um, there's that all-encompassing statement right at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, which reads, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Mm -hmm. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So, Today, we just would like to consider something of what Amos has to say as the forerunner, um, uh, as a prophetic forerunner of Jesus. Mm. And those first two verses, actually, they contain a very important definition of what prophecy is uh, and of what the responsibility of the prophet was. And it's namely this, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So prophecy is basically a communication of God's heart uh, through a human channel. And, and Jesus, of course, is the ultimate communicator of God's heart. I love the bit in um, John 14 where Philip is asking Jesus to show him the Father. Mm-hmm. And you read this lovely statement, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Mm-hmm. I just think that's lovely. If you want to know the Father's heart, just look at me. Mm-hmm. And that's the communication, you know, of the father. Mm -hmm. So what do we glean from Amos as the forerunner of Jesus? A little bit of background, uh, it it would be good here. Um, I expect most folk have got access to the message, Eugene Peterson's The Message and the NIV UK. But in both of those Bibles, there's a very excellent introduction to Amos, which I would commend to you. But basically... (coughs) The northern kingdom of Israel uh, reached its greatest height in the first half of the 8th century BC. And they were mistakenly confident that God was with them in the midst of their corrupted religion, which is why Amos had to speak to them. Mm -hmm. And when Amos brings that message uh, to the nation, it results in an absolute uproar. In fact, Amos is accused of treason uh, and is banished from the kingdom. So Amos is actually the first of the prophets to bring a message to that northern kingdom. I hadn't realized that until just the other day. Mm. So the first thing I'd like to mention about Amos then is this. 
and that is the compelling nature of the prophetic. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> I'm just going to read two or three verses in, in Amos, which just demonstrate this. If you're interested, those of you who are following, it's in Amos chapter 3. Basically, what happens is this is what Amos says um, about the northern kingdom of Israel following his pronouncement of judgment against Israel through Amos. So he says this. Due to, and the, these verses are actually um, a very good example of the principle of cause and effect. I think you probably we're all familiar with that. So, for example, if you have seven inches of rain in four hours, if that's the cause, the, the effect is that your road will be flooded. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't brush your teeth, you might end up with five cavities. If you that's eat, cause, if, if you if you eat a chicken vindaloo. Yes, well, I won't, we won't go into the effect of that. But yes, it's the cause and effect principle. So these verses just highlight a cause and effect. So it says, this is Amos speaking now, do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he's got no prey? And then it comes down to um, verse uh, seven. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. And here's the cause and effect again. The lion has roared, who will not fear? Mm -hmm. um, and the ultimate in this little cause and effect thing is this in the second half of verse 8. The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Uh, I love the way the message puts it, mm -hmm. which is God has spoken. What prophet can keep quiet? Mm -hmm. You see that? So you've got the cause, of, which is God speaking. And the effect of that is you've got to prophesy if God speaks. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament sense, when the Lord speaks, it's his intention for what he has said to be communicated. And it's usually compelling. Mm -hmm. And a great example of this is found in Jeremiah. Uh, he says this. For the word of the Lord has come to me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, mm. there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot. Mm. So mm. you get the real sense of the compelling there. And I think mm. that's a, a real characteristic of, of the prophetic. And examples of Jesus himself being compelled. Do you remember when he, he uh, drove the, the, the money changers out of the temple mm -hmm. uh, uh, and his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Mm -hmm. um, and in mm -hmm. Luke, um, I have a baptism with which to be baptized and how greatly and sorely I am urged on, mm -hmm. impelled, constrained until it is accomplished. So you get this real sense of, of, of the compelling. Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing that the compelling the second thing is that uh, i felt was very noticeable here and i'm sure it's the same throughout the prophets is the costliness of being prophetic um <coughs> you know if the prophetic is being um spoken whether it's to nations governments 
false leaders or even leaders who are not false, but just are fearful of the cost of being obedient to what God is saying. It can be costly. Amos himself was thrown out. We read that in chapter seven of Amos. Um, so, you know, unpopularity was a common feature of the prophetic in the old. And even the, obviously the same thing happens with John the Baptist. And of course, mm. Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate example of the costliness of being prophetic. Mm -hmm. um, it says in John 1, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Mm -hmm. And of course, he was eventually cru crucified. But I love just to keep a little balance there. Although John the Baptist was resisted by the religious leaders of his day, as was Jesus, you read especially of Jesus regularly in the Gospels, but many believed on him. So the hostility was, you know, mainly from the religious element of the day. And there's an interesting little verse, I can't remember where it is, somewhere about um, uh, the Pharisees' reaction to John the Baptist. <coughs> they didn't, um, because they didn't um, believe that John the Baptist was prophetic, they rejected what he had to say. Mm -hmm. But the people who received what John had to say had a completely different response. Mm -hmm. So that's two things then. There's the compelling and the costliness. And I just I thought it would be good just to mention something about the context of the prophetic in the New Testament. Uh, because, you know, we've been hearing quite a lot on the podcast, on this series of podcasts, I think I'm right, Nick, in saying that how important it is that we... Um, desire the gift of prophecy. And I was thinking a little bit about, um, uh, what's the right word, the mechanics of how that would actually work mm -hmm. out in a, in, a, in a Christian group, church, house group, or wh whatever setting. Mm -hmm. um, and although the context of the prophetic in the Old Testament was often God's exhorting people to return to him, with the consequence of judgment if they didn't listen to him, there was also an element of comfort. For example, in Isaiah 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And um, particularly in 1 Corinthians 14, which I think we'll all be familiar with, where we are exhorted to uh, desire that gift, um, there is... Um, I wonder if I could, no, I won't bother doing that. But in verse 1 of Corinthians 14 is where we, we are exhorted to desire that gift. Later on in the chapter, there's a framework given for how uh, prophesying would take place among a group of Christians. And it's really important just to look at that. So I was thinking of the times in our present day situation where Paul describes um, uh, prophecy as being either a combination of strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Okay, that, that's the main thrust of that. And it's interesting just to, to keep in mind that if you are bringing something that's prophetic to a group of folk, there is a very real possibility that it will be challenging and costly. Uh, so mm -hmm. strengthening, encouragement, and comfort doesn't necessarily mean a pat on the back or there, there, everything's okay. It doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. I'm quite sure it doesn't mean that. Most, so most, 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 most classically seen with the UK blessing. Uh, 
video that did the rounds. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, I've forgotten what the content of that was. But um, so I'm thinking of what actually happens when you sense God speaking to you something that is um, prophetic. Um, maybe your heart will beat a bit faster. Um, it's not the first time that I've been in a in a group situation where I felt maybe the Lord saying something, and I'll say to Pam afterwards, oh, I wish I'd shared that in the meeting, but I wasn't sure whether it was me uh, or, the, or the Lord or the devil. You know, there's that, there's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's why the scripture talks in 1 Corinthians 14 about the importance of a safety net when, so that things can be tested when they're shared. Mm -hmm. And there are many examples in the Bible of people who have been reluctant, either because of a sense of inadequacy or fear or outright disobedience. For example, Jonah, Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Ananias with um, Saul as he was at that mm -hmm. point. All, all of these um, people, they, they expressed a measure of reluctance and hesitancy. Oh, surely not me. You can't really mean me to do that. Um, so <clears throat> I think we have to be brave, share what's on our heart, and allow the body to test it. That's the thing. It's not a schoolroom examination, uh, but something we allow to happen in a setting of mutual love and support, recognising that somebody has put themselves out there when they verbalise what they sense has been given them from above. I'll just say something about that quickly, Dad, because yeah. in the case of Jeremiah, Jeremiah had been told before he prophesied that they would reject what he would say. Mm. So the New Testament context, again, has to keep that in mind, that there isn't a sense in which when prophetic content is brought, that it's somehow, there's, there's, there's the weighing of stuff mm. from, from the elders, for example, of a local church, whatever, but or from the wider witness of the body. But there is also the sense in which the, the legitimacy or the authenticness of a prophetic word isn't primarily to do with whether it's rubber stamped by the people mm. it's whether or not its source is god <coughs> yeah absolutely uh there's a lovely um oh, wonderful have we got have we got time there's a, a lovely bit actually in eugene peterson's introduction to amos have i got time to read it yeah well you've got it yeah it's just here it's uh, absolutely just spot on with what you're just saying um, <clears throat> I'm just going to, while you're finding that, I'm just going to pick up on some points, just not necessarily to throw your train of thought, but for people listening, um, just a couple of my notes here, the comparison of Amos's exclusion in his faithfulness to what God had commanded him to do, which was to speak a certain word. We're, we're straddling old Testament and new Testament, but there are principles that transfer. And I think that transfers is that. The issue is obedience and, you know, if you're obedient to eagerly desire the gift of the spirit, especially the gift of prophecy today, it might not mean you get a promotion at work. <laughs> it, might, it might not mean that you get, you know. Yeah. So, so there's that sense. In, so Amos was excluded. The other, th the other thing that, that caught my attention, I don't know if you've got anything more to say about this, was the language, the specific language of Amos talking about does a lion roar when he doesn't have any prey? Mm. which of course Peter described Satan as doing just that 
um, a, a lion that prowls around roaring, seeking whom he made it. It's a picture of arrogance that mm. defies the natural order of a, li- <laughs> of a lion getting low when it doesn't have any, you know, anyway. So it, I just was, I just thought that was an interesting link between Amos and, and Peter's letter. Uh, well, coming back to what you were saying about uh, the rubber stamping aspect. Um, the biblical, this is Eugene Peterson, the biblical prophets continue to be the most powerful and effective voices over, ever heard on this earth for keeping religious religion honest, humble, and compassionate. Prophets sniff out injustice, especially injustice that is dressed up in a religious garb. They sniff it out a mile away. Prophets see through hypocrisy, especially hypocrisy that assumes a religious pose. Prophets are not impressed by position or power or authority. They aren't taken in by numbers, size, or appearance of success. They pay little attention to what men and women say about God or Mm. do for God. They listen to God and rigorously test all human language and action against what they hear. Among these prophets, Amos towers as a defender of the downtrodden poor and accuser of the powerful rich who use God's name to legitimize their sin. But this wee bit here I thought was interesting. None of us can be trusted in this business. If we pray and worship God and associate with others who likewise pray and worship God, we absolutely must keep company with these biblical prophets. Mm-hmm. We are required to submit all our words and acts to their passionate scrutiny to prevent the perversion of our religion into something self-serving. Mm-hmm. Spiritual life that doesn't give a large place to the prophetic to the prophet articulated justice will end up making us worse instead of better, separating mm. us from God's way instead of drawing us into them. Yeah, I, I, I would say as well to that, not just the, <coughs> the, the neglect of the prophetic council, but also the, the contortion of it, i.e. a denominational morphing of it to mean a certain thing in a certain pocket of church denomination. You know, I don't expect to go into the middle of, Edinburgh to a Presbyterian church and have people talking about the prophetic council of the old Testament compared with the new. So it's, it's the whole thing of neglect, isn't it? And also abuse. Mm. That is, I think a constant tension when, when we're trying to find what, what would a new Testament church that is operating in a genuine prophetic gift, what would that look like today? I think it would look like an awareness of the neglect and the abuse. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yes, and I think um, if, if you're beginning to move in the prophetic, inevitably there will be an element of our humanness contained mm-hmm. in it. But I just think that how wonderful it is the fact that God chooses us to do that. And I mm-hmm. often think of the bit in Luke 3. I think we've talked about it before, Nick. But <clears throat> it says in the high priesthood of, no, the word of God didn't come to Caesar, didn't come to Herod. Yeah. didn't come to the high priest mm. it came to john mm-hmm. so if i was <laughs> comparing that with today trying to put it in a, a modern day context the word of god may not necessarily come to a king or a politician or a president but it might come to bill or brenda or bert or betty mm-hmm. it's or that kind of thing or and, barney or bonnie yeah. God, <clears throat> so, God, God spoke through a donkey. He could, he could speak through a corgi. Well, that's right. And uh, But obviously the huge importance of remaining humble, the fact that God conveys his heart to human beings is mm-hmm. just utterly astounding. 
There's a very important uh, verse in Amos chapter 6, verse 6. And uh, the beginning of that chapter, uh, it's been headed, Woe to those at ease in Zion. Um, uh, and the actual verse is this. Woe to those who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And uh, this is introduction of another word here, the word grieved. And it's linked very closely with another couple of words, which I know has been mentioned uh, in one of your podcasts a while back, Nick, uh, about the, the whole matter of lament. And another word that's closely linked with that is the word burden. Uh, so being grieved, lament or burden. Um, so often what the prophets had to share was really with a huge sense of burden upon them. And now, when we talk about burden, we're not talking about the daily trials of life or some self-imposed pressure. But it's a sensing of God's concern, which the prophet feels as a burden, as a mm -hmm. real, you know, mm -hmm. and hence the, the connection with uh, the word lament. So, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves, is God using you is God using me? Is God using us to uh, actually speak and or pray to this end locally or at a wider level? It's interesting. <clears throat> you might have people might have the the, the reaction to this, uh, you know, injunction to desire the gift of prophecy. I can't be prophetic. Uh, and it's interesting when. Amos is being um, hauled over the coals by the religious leaders of his day um, and, and virtually being chucked out and told to go, to go somewhere else. This is what he says in response to that. Then Amos answered and said to the man, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me. That's it. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of burden, you know, it cannot be manufactured, uh, but we can be willing for God to uh, impart a sense of his heart to us. I love the song. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. There's some lovely words there. What is on your heart? Show me what to do. Let me know your will and I will follow you. Mm -hmm. uh, so lament is actually a form of prayer. And it's amazing that of the entire Psalm, 150 Psalms, a third of them, a third of them are in the form of lament. Mm -hmm. Listen to Jesus' lament. Uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together mm. as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. You get the real sense of lament there, don't mm -hmm, you? Mm -hmm. uh, and similarly, when he, he weeps over the city, when he foretells that, you know, that there's going to be the invasion of the, of the enemy and so on. But here's an interesting thing, which I feel can easily be encountered about this whole matter of lament. And it's this. I can imagine some folk well saying, well, why should we lament? 
why should we not? Why are we not experiencing the joy of the Lord? And the interesting thing is that it's actually in an inexplicable way possible to do both those things, mm -hmm. to actually have a sense of lament and to be rejoicing in the Lord. And there's an amazing little biblical example of this, which I had only spotted in the last couple of days. If you've got your Bible handy at Habakkuk, um, the prophet has been voicing his concern uh, to God about how can God allow mm -hmm. a wicked nation, more wicked than Judah, uh, to come and invade the land. And he's really baffled by that. And God answers him and so on. And you can read how that response. But then you come to chapter three. And the first verse is actually incredible. You, you could almost miss it. It says this. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigonioth. Have you ever thought about that word before? S-H-I-G-I-O-N-O-T-H. According to Shigionoth. And, I, you know, I've, I've never even noticed the word before. But if you have a look at the ESV, there is uh, an understanding according to... Um, especially the, sound version. Eh? The, the ESV, the especially sound version. The, the especially sound version. The word Shigonioth actually includes an element of lament. Mm -hmm. So this prayer... Uh, of Habakkuk's, which you can read, it's an amazing prayer, has got inbuilt into it a sense of lament. But incredibly, at the end of the chapter, we read these absolutely beautiful verses, which we're all familiar with. But just remember, lament, and then he says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Mm -hmm. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So lament and rejoicing can go together. I think that's really important mm -hmm. in case people think uh, <clears throat> lopsided you're just being a downtrodden christian and you you're not you're not living victoriously and, and all that kind of thing no it's not that lament burden god's burden for things is hugely important but it is with rejoicing mm -hmm. in him at the same time mm -hmm. so finally how are we doing for time <clears throat> just going back to the conversation on that day um on the two on the way to emmaus you remember that one of the concerns was expressed by the two of them, uh, but we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. That's an important little statement that needs to be just kept in mind. And I was just wondering if Jesus might have referred to Amos in the very last chapter and reminded them of these words. Listen to these beautiful words. This is in Amos chapter 9, after all that's been said, right at the very end. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore mm. 
the fortunes of my people Israel. You know, in answer to their question, we had thought that so on. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Mm -hmm. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus referred to that in Amos, mm -hmm. but we don't know, of course. We don't, yeah. um, <clears throat> mm -hmm. So perhaps I could just finish with this. Uh, from Acts chapter 3. I think this is, is a good summary of things, actually. Um, this, <clears throat> this that Paul uh, says, it follows the healing of the lame man uh, in, in Acts chapter 3. You remember that incredible man lame from birth and uh, he's healed and um, he jumps and leaps and praises God and so on. And then this is what um, he says, uh, referring to their treatment of Jesus. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did all your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So that's what I've gleaned from Amos. The, the, there's the uh, compelling, uh, the costliness and the element of lament, but finishing with this lovely promise of restoration to, to answer the question that the, the two on the way to Emmaus were mm -hmm, asking. Mm -hmm. So there we are. Thank you very much, Dad. I don't, I don't want to particularly... Uh, add anything to that other than to say that it's a command not of Paul the apostle but of Jesus who's coming that we eagerly desire this gift yeah and that's all I want to say really is that this isn't for a select few it's not for a select denomination it's for it's the bread and butter of discipleship actually mm. and I think if you if people just let that sit with them they'll realize that what you've just steered us through is isn't pick and mix it's it's a it's a prescription for everybody you know yeah <clears throat> do you want to pray first then dad yeah lord we thank you so much for your word and I, even as we just pray now i'm reminded of something else in in amos where he talks about uh, when people don't listen to you, there's the potential of a famine of the word of the Lord. What a horrendous thing to have a famine of the word of the Lord. 
Mm -hmm. So, Lord, we uh, thank you so much for the preciousness of your word. And, Lord, just help us in an ongoing way increasingly to be obedient to what you have to say. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the, um, the fact that when you speak, it's something that comes to us with conviction. Mm -hmm. It's not wishy-washy. It's just from your heart so how can it be anything else but that which is convicting so lord help us to uh have an increasingly attentive ear to you speaking to us mm. so that we are able to share that with other folk mm -hmm. so lord thank you for your word today mm. in jesus name mm. amen amen just thinking now of amos being a shepherd and the language of him being taken by God to a different place or to a different context in order to prophesy. And Lord, I, I ask now that you would, um, as the shepherd, that you, the good shepherd, that you would enable people who you are trying to take from one context to another, that you would give them um, everything that they need not to resist that. Mm. And that for everyone who has resisted you, over the last two years or even for much longer than that, that you would arrest them in their place of resisting you and that they would simply surrender in the knowledge of you being the good shepherd and that you want to take your people en masse into the place where you command blessing. Mm. So Lord, we pray that now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.